0: She's a plastic surgeon, Netflix famous, and a loud and proud advocate of Israel. Dr. Sheila Nazarian is here to talk about, well, Israel, Iran, parenting, and even Ozempic. Yes, we covered it all. And a new song from Eighth Day, written by Yours Truly, featuring Nissan Black, celebrates the life of a very special girl whose legacy will be her passion for life. I'm gonna share that poignant message today with you. On the Weekly Squeeze, this is the Weekly Squeeze, episode 115. I'm your talented and lovely host, Pamela Music, coming at you from the land of Israel. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. I am in the Holy Land, and I just love it. I am obsessed with this country. You know why? Because Canada is not burning at my border. And from what I understand, New York and New Jersey look like the end of times. I saw some pictures of, of Manhattan, and the entire sky is orange what the heck is going on by you guys? I say it like you control the weather. <laughs> they say that you control the weather. So if you're in charge, can you shut off this? I know it's not a weather thing, but it's definitely mother nature. Yeah. Well here the weather has been delightful. And by delightful, I mean, it's not been over 90 for the last 48 hours. <laughs> you take what you can get. My flowers are blooming. I might've bought a couple more. I have 16, <laughs> what started off as three buckets on my fence are now 16 plants. It's just a little jungle off my kitchen, but it's, it's delightful. It's everything I've ever dreamed of. This was my dream. My dream was to move to Israel and have a beautiful porch facing a mountain and watch my children come home from school and just breathe in the holy air. And, and it's, it's come true. I mean, my dream has come true. How often can people say that? Hashtag grateful, hashtag, yes, I'm writing in my gratitude journal, mom. (laughs) Everything in this country is just a little more vibrant and charged. There's just a certain energy that pulses here. It could be that everyone around us would just like us dead, and uh, that's an energy, (laughs) a hateful energy. I saw a billboard in Tehran, in terrorist Tehran, of a hypersonic missile that travels at a speed of Mach 5 or greater, that can reach Tel Aviv in, they say, 400 seconds. That's a big deal, okay? U.S., Russia, China, North Korea are the only countries that have tested hypersonic missiles, and uh, we don't need Iran with one, especially when they actually created it to destroy Israel. Do not fear, however. Israel is on top of their game. There will be mass destruction in Iran before they even reach for the lighter to set off that missile. I don't know how missiles are lit, I guess, like a cannon. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a chemist. But the point is that there's just an energy here in the land of Israel where everything is a little more vibrant, and you just live a little more. You live a little harder. You live a little louder. You live a little stronger because it's eat or be eaten here in the wild, wild west of the Middle East. That's right. So yeah, and when you live like that, when every single second that's just calm and normal is perfect and great and you're grateful for it, you just live more in the present. You just are more grounded because now is a gift. Today, this moment, this hour, my kids are safe. I can enjoy the weather, I can plant my flowers, I can throw things down to my neighbor's merpeset and just live this Israeli life. By the way, I just want to throw in here that I was gypped. I was gypped because when I made Aliyah, you know, actually, <laughs> I'm realizing now, my dreams didn't completely come true. Because when I made Aliyah, my vision was that I would have a merpeset, that I could just pluck the water off with my Israeli sponge mop. And that was just Israel to me. Women doing sponja and plucking buckets of water across the floor and then pouring it down, not really caring who gets wet out of consequence. But I got gypped because my apartment has steps up to the Mir Peset. So I can't pour water on my floor. Plus there's no drains in our house at all. There's no drains in my apartment. So I have to wash the floors like an American with a shmata and wring it out and bend down and just blah, blah, blah. I was gypped. So yeah, if you were about to give me an ayin because oh my gosh, Hanala's life is perfect. Just know that things are... Stressful in the cleaning house department. Anyway, back to what I was saying. A few months ago, Bensi Marcus from If Day reached out to me and he said, Hey, we're working on a song as a tribute to a young girl who passed away in Crown Heights, a fellow Lubavitcher, and we would love for you to write it, compose it. And I said, Okay, well, sure. Accepting the job, knowing immediately that it would be a not difficult, but important song and that it would matter deeply to the people who hear it, the family. A 12-year-old girl passed away from cancer. That means a lot of broken hearts. And this song is going to fill a void in this girl's family's life where they can connect with her through music. Now, I wrote a song about my cousin, Razel, who passed away. And it was the first song in a very long time that I wrote for me. I knew I wouldn't be mourning in the state of mourning forever, but I knew that every time I thought of Razel, my heart would hurt. So I wanted a space, a four-minute space where I could just think of her and look at her and remember her and be inspired by the beautiful person that she was. And every time I watch the video called The Rose that I wrote about Razel Zucker of blessed memory, she was so special. I relive her and I want to live for her. I want to live for her. I think she didn't get a chance to live so I can live for her. I mean, if that's not a a reason enough to try a little harder. So 8th Day tells me the name of the song is going to be a little louder. I said, huh, okay, how come? So they said, well, there's a video clip of Hadassah, Hadassa Lubavik. And she's sitting with her little, maybe four-year-old sister. And she's saying, a little louder. And the little kid says, a little louder. And they kind of go back and forth. And Hadassah clearly has a great voice, a really solid, clear voice. And that just was her energy. She just was full of life and wanted to live and enjoyed it. And then she got cancer when she was 11 and a half years old. A very aggressive cancer that took her life shortly after her bus mitzvah. Now, how do you fill the void that the loss of a 12-year-old leaves in a house, in a home? How? You don't. You don't. But what you do is you live the life that they wanted to live, and that way you feel them close to you. And you do mitzvahs for them, and you remember them, and you put positivity into the world in their name and their neshama, soaks it up and loves it and enjoys it. Their neshama is at peace. It's, it's us who suffer. So we live for them and we do mitzvahs for them and that keeps them close and it gives their neshama an aliyah. So it was a privilege to write the song and I thought to myself, okay, well, what does it mean to live a little louder? What, what does sound have to do with life? Well, sound has everything to do with life because all around us are the sounds of Hashem's presence in our life. And when we recognize that Hashem is in the patter of the rain, and when Hashem is in the laughter of children, and when Hashem is in our music, then we can find our loved ones' essences, their neshamas. We could connect to them through these sounds because the neshamas that go up to Shemaim, they're connected to Hashem. So it's all there. We don't see it, but we can feel it when we tune in, literally and spiritually. So I'm going to put a link to the new song from 8th Day featuring a rap by Nisan Black, a terrific guy. I don't care if you don't like rap. I don't like rap either, but I like the guy. And I like his wife and I like his kids and I've worked with them and I know them and I've traveled with them and they're just terrific Ehrlich people. The Blacks are the real deal. So yeah, this song is out. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. You can check it out on Spotify. It's called A Little Louder by 8th Day, inspired by the Too Short but deeply lived life of Hadassah Lubavik a Blessed Memory. Now, because this is an unconventional podcast, you're going to get the song now. I'm going to play the song for you, and then I'll put the song in the show notes so you can check it out, put it on your Spotify playlists, and uh, share it with friends. Also, if you listen to this podcast on a faster speed, put it on regular speed so you can enjoy this song. Here we go. Take it up. A Little Ladder, day, written by Hanula.
1: When my head is feeling heavy And my steps are out of sync When my feet can't find their rhythm And I don't know what to think Simple words have lost their meaning And my broken heart can't be. It's in these silent moments I feel you next to me saying Face the challenge, steer it down Take the plunge, feet off the ground Breathe in deep Heads above water, no anchor can hold you down. Say with me now again, live your one life, mid dublin. And when your silent faith begins to fade, live a little louder, a little louder, a little louder, live a little louder. Crashing (laughs) of the ocean, the fall. traveling in the breeze from children as they play the harmonies that fall between the notes we cannot hear the sound of life surrounding you are signs that he is near. so face the challenge Goodwill, God heals every type of suffering. That's how I fell in love with him. Seen a lot of pain in life. I am still recovering. I'm giving all I have to give. I finish when there's nothing left. I live life with the fire burning in my chest. I'm drawing down the light a little. Make it louder. We progress. True joy is revealed or concealed in the actions you're making. You should learn patience. Live life every day with a smile of good energy. Because it's a way to victory. Face the challenge, steer it down. Take the plunge, feet off the ground. Breathe in deep till again your head's above water. No No anchor can hold you down. down. Say it with me now again. Live your one life, Mick Dobrin. When your silent faith begins to fade.
0: Really, really nice to have worked with Eighth Day on this song. And I'm thrilled on how pretty it came out. This week's episode of The Weekly Squeeze has been brought to you by Mosaica Press Books. You guys know I love to read. And more and more, I find myself reaching for books by Mosaica Press. For me and for my kids, they have so many great books that are beautifully printed and deeply meaningful. Whether it's From Boys to Men, A Guide for Sons and Students in the Ways of Kedusha, Questioning the Answers from Kayla Goldstein, or the brand new Reclaiming Dignity, a book about Tsnius that is selling like hotcakes all of mosaic Press books are quality and worth the investment and guess what weekly squeeze listeners are going to get 20% off all their orders by using the coupon code hanala 15 i hooked you up you're going to get a nice discount and a beautiful book delivered to your door that you will read and enjoy time and time again so if you're one of those people who's just like i should read more jewish books Go to mosaicopress.com and order one of the titles that catches your eye or send a gift to somebody. A book is a great present for a bar mitzvah, a bas mitzvah, and you want to make sure you are spending your money on something that's quality. And Mosaic Press books certainly are. I could vouch for them. I own them, I read them, and I love them. So what are you waiting for? Take your Meister money, yes, you can use Meister money, and order some Jewish books for your kosher home library today www.mosaicapress.com coupon code Hanala 15 for 15% off all right my guest today is Dr. Sheila Nazarian I never spoke to her I only know her from Instagram she is super popular for a plastic surgeon now I'm no doctor like I graduated high school I went to sem and then I started singing this woman went to college went to university got a degree and became a surgeon And not only that, she was on an Emmy-nominated Netflix show about plastic surgery. And if you're thinking we're going to be talking about plastic surgery, well, we're not. We're actually going to be talking about Israel because Sheila is a huge pro-Israel advocate. She's on the front lines fighting online and off on behalf of Israel, on behalf of the Jewish people. And on behalf of your kids, she's smart. She's feisty. She says that she has lioness energy, which is great because I have tiger blood. So you can bet this is going to be a great conversation. So without further ado, the delightful Dr. Sheila Nazarian. Dr. Sheila Nazarian, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know you're a loud and proud Jewish woman who puts her money where her mouth is. You advocate loudly for Israel and for the Jews in America. We're going to talk Mm -hmm. about all that. I read some of your op-eds. I love your positions. So let's get to it because, you know, two Jewish heads are better than one. And I have a lot of thoughts and opinions on just about everything. So to begin, I know you've shared your story before, but to bring my audience up to speed— just give me a quick rundown how you went from being an Iranian citizen to being a successful plastic surgeon, TV star, and social media influencer.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. Where do I begin?
0: With her own podcast that she records out of her closet.
2: Which is why I'm sitting in my closet right now. So, yeah, I was the OG uh, anchor baby, as I like to say. My parents kind of saw where Iran was going. I was born in 1979. So my mom was nine months pregnant. They're like, It would be very uh, valuable to have at least one U.S. citizen in the family. So my mom actually flew to New York nine months pregnant. She says she had me at 10 months. I was I was like very late. Uh, But as soon as I was born, we basically flew back to Iran. You know, my dad was the chief medical officer of the Shah's Hospital, Um, you know, we had a great life. I remember we had a three story, like Carrera marble house, like everything was Carrera marble.
0: (laughs) My husband's Bukhari and his, his, uh, uncle's married to a Persian woman. And Mm -hmm. she also speaks about her life there. She said it was so grandiose and beautiful. And then she never thought they would leave. Exactly. And so they went back.
2: Um, the Iran-Iraq war started like a year later, uh, 1980 that went to 1985. I remember, sirens would go off in the middle of the night. We would run to the windows and we would watch the fireworks. I mean, that's what, you know, my parents told me it was, so we wouldn't be scared. Um, And just a lot of stuff added up. You see, you know, kind of how women's lives are in Iran now. I think it's on center stage. Um, my parents had two daughters, and they were like, this is not a life for them. The war started. a bomb landed a couple blocks away from our house. Um, it was just, you know, my dad was constantly afraid just because he had a higher position in sort of the Shah's network
0: were you were you guys aware that you were Jews amongst? the Arabs? Did you know, let's say that there was... Well, this I mean, they're um... not
2: technically Arab. They're they're Iranian. So um, Arab is more like the surrounding states um, or countries, I should say. Uh, but no, I mean, we knew to hide it. We knew not to say it. We knew not to, like, hang a mezuzah on our door. We knew not to put a menorah in our window. Like, things like that. But it wasn't, like, I was still small. I was, like, six and a half when we escaped. My mm-hmm. sister was 13. Mm-hmm. So I think for her, it was a lot probably more in her face, in school, you learn the verses of the Quran. You know, my husband still, he left when he was 13. He can still sing, like, the entire thing. If you go to a mosque, he knows the words to what they're saying.
0: Wow. But uh, this was before the revolution. There were a lot more freedoms at no, the No, this was I mean.
2: af- after the revolution is when all that started. Before the revolution, it wasn't, like, a religious thing to learn Islam in school. It was just you know very secular it was very european M- women wore mini skirts i mean there's so many fabulous pictures of women at the beach pre i know that's what and- i'm
0: referring to
2: yeah yeah but after the revolution, like even the name of my uh, my dad's hospital was changed to an Islamic name. The street names were changed to Islamic names. So very, very stark difference. And once you hit the age of nine, you had to wear a hijab, regardless of your religion. So I even have a, um, a passport photo of me, my mom, and my sister, where we're all in black hijabs, um, even though we're you know, obviously Jewish. So Did, did anyways, you watch
0: we, Not Without My Daughter? So, so was, that's
2: exactly our escape route. Like I watched that show uh, with my mom when she was still alive and um, she said like, you know, when they came out and they were just covered in sand, she's like, that's exactly what we look like. That's the exact route we took. Um, so for those of you who haven't seen that movie, if you want to see our escape route with the, with the smugglers, that's what that's what we did. So we basically spent a couple of nights in the desert. We were actually seen by border police at some point. They started shooting at us. We were able to get away. And what's crazy too is I was just in Dubai and we went on one of those like bedouin um venture adventures kind of thing and we had to get on these cars and go like this through the sand and it was it's like a scary thing for those of you who've done it but it kind of released a core memory of of our escaping my mom told me we were going on a roller coaster through the desert and when we were doing that I was like oh my god this is what this is what we went through the um, sand I, dunes yeah yeah so that's sort of what we had to do to get away um But so then we made it to eventually, well, we went to Pakistan. We waited for three months there um, for visas. My dad was in Vienna. He had, he wasn't with us during the escape. He had said he was going on a medical conference and left our passports with the government. Um, And he said, yeah, I'm going on a medical conference. That way, if we would have been caught, he would have said, oh, my wife was trying to escape from me and I I didn't know this was going to happen. And he would take custody of us, me and my sister. Whereas if we were all together, they would have been put in jail. And then who was there to take care of us? So we basically were in uh, Pakistan for three months. My dad was working in Vienna trying to get us the visas. Eventually we reunited with him and we were in Vienna for another three months waiting for visas to get to the U.S., um, when we came to the US, we were in New York with my grandma f- uh, for like a month. And then we stayed with my aunt in LA um, in like a two bedroom apartment with her family <laughs> uh, until my dad was able to pass his boards and start to work and earn income.
0: Were you always like connected with the Iranian Persian community? Even Shahs of Sunset, you know, I think of that show how they all gravitate towards each other. They're like so connected culturally. So did you have that like support system when you came to America? For sure. I mean, I think um, sometimes people complain. I think that,
2: um, especially in like, you know, my kids are in school now. I have like three, two and a half teenagers, I like to say. Um, One of them's a preteen, but, you know, even (laughs) in schools, yeah, I find that a lot of the Ashkenazi moms are like, oh, the Persian, you know, moms are clicky or they just hang out with each other. But I think there's like, you know, thinking about it, I mean, I, you know, basically, I just work all the time and I say like my patients are my social life, but you know, I think that it's still so fresh, like we're all first generation. And in Iran, I think we all had to stick together and rely on each other. Um, there was microaggressions, there was macroaggressions. I remember one of our older family members said before the state of Israel uh, in Iran, if it would rain, they would beat up the Jews because the water hit the Jews back and made the ground filthy. We were not they weren't allowed to go to the supermarket and, and with their hand. Grab an apple because you contaminated all of the apples because you're a Jew. So I'm right. So I think it's like very stark the repercussions of even the state of Israel existing, even in Iran, which is which was very strange for me to learn, but it's almost like we have a more power it's like you have um you know like a you're like the little guy but there's like a big dude standing behind you kind of thing um even in Iran how come your parents didn't go to Israel at that time well my my dad's sister did um she actually went there and got married to an Israeli man who actually last week passed away but they're they're very old um but she lived she lives in israel um a lot of the persian jews went to israel Uh, a lot of them went to turkey on their way to the u.s um the muslims who escaped mostly went to germany and the u.s um so i think everyone just sort of found their community and knew where their support group was going to be and sort of gravitated towards that diaspora
0: there was also the the Idea of the streets are paved with gold and everybody su- could succeed. That's why the Europeans also came to Europe instead of Israel. It just seemed like this chance for a new life where you can start again and be free so that must have been very appealing
2: yeah i mean and also there was already because we got up pretty late we left in 1985 most uh persian jews left in like 78 like right when the revolution was bubbling up my mom my dad's mom was um older so we didn't want to just like abandon her we had to actually get her out and actually we got her out through israel <laughs> wow. so we said she was going there for medical treatment so as soon as she was out that's when we were like okay we need to escape now um, but yeah, I mean, the amount of gratefulness, I think that especially Persian Jews or Russian Jews or, you know, South American Jews, anyone who's sort of lived through that oppression, the amount of gratefulness we have to be in America is so immense. I think we're probably the loudest people on social media about how oh, wonderful absolutely. this country is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I don't have Sephardic blood, as you could see, I'm just a very white, freckle faced Ashkenazi girl. But my grandmother's a Holocaust survivor and it really felt like we had just the opportunity to build and grow and and not be embarrassed of who we are and how we practice religion and so on and so forth. But we're in trouble again, I'm afraid. And, you know, Iran, that's a whole conversation in and of itself. I would love if you would share with my audience a little bit about what's actually taking place in Iran now. I know you're well read and fluent on the situation. Because it's not something that most people know. They, they assume Iran is just the enemy of Israel and they're all bad people and who the hell cares what's going on there. But there are real practical implications for what's happening in Iran uh, as far as the rest of the world goes, as far as Israel goes. How do you summarize basically the situation now and what do you predict will develop over the next year or two as things evolve, which they have been? Yeah, I mean, pre-
2: prior to this sort of Islamic revolution, our neighbors were Muslim. I mean, we were it wasn't like a thing, you know, we would have, uh, they would come over for Shabbat dinner, like we would go over there, like it, it wasn't this sort of like, we're enemies of each other. Jews in Iran have a very long history and um, were very tolerated, especially under the Shah. And um, it was almost like, you know, they, we were just neighbors. It wasn't like, that's my Jewish neighbor. It was just, we were just neighbors. And I think that you know, post-revolution, these um, very uneducated, most of them not even not even high school educated, imams and mullahs came into power. It was under the guise of socialism. It was a lot of the things that we're kind of hearing here in the U.S. It was like, why is the Shah living in a castle when there's homeless people on the street? You know, what is this kind of thing? And The roots of the revolution actually um, were from communism and socialism. Uh, And this can actually be traced back. A lot of the people that were uh, rioting in the streets and things like that belonged to communist societies um, within Iran. And so these people took over um, originally they wanted to make it so that it would be, you know, very democratic and there would be a vote and things like that. But over time, it just became a very controlling religious, uh, dictatorship, basically. Yeah. yeah. And, um, they still kind of have it under the guise of democracy, but it's interesting. Like before an election, like a month before, they'll already be congratulating the person that's gonna like be leading. <laughs> so it's kind of right. Like, like, like
0: the this. Palestinians freely, you know, nominated Abbas here right. for a hundred years. So, so, so. so one second, Bef- just to make it clear. So before the Iranian Revolution. Women didn't have to cover up. They could go to school, participate in public life. They could drive. Um, I believe they had a right to divorce in 1963. That became legal. Um, there was no polygamy. So that, you know, obviously it's a religious country, but it was bearable and it was pleasant. And even more than that, it was actually quite lovely. You know, that's not a It was a quite country. lovely. Yeah, it yes. was quite lovely. Afterwards, everything just kind of went downhill. How many years is this since the, the country kind of turned in that direction? It was 79 so I'm 43 years old. So 43. Wow. yeah. But in the last year, things have completely bubbled over. I mean, they canceled school for girls. Is that like a reality for real? I mean, so let me tell you. And this is a very, very
2: interesting thing. So I'll kind of tell you what's happening and then I'll kind of, you know, compare it to uh, religious Jews, too. Right. I mean, I have a friend that I was just in Cancun with last week on kind of like a leadership trip. And she grew up in Israel um, in my And they told the girls there that you don't need to learn math because the only number you need to count up to is seven. So you can know when Shabbat's coming. Right. Um, And so she's like, What is this? I want to learn math, you know? Uh, So, similarly in Iran, um, I think that the very religious people say, Why should girls learn? I mean, we see it happening in Afghanistan too. In Afghanistan, they actually, you know, just recently um, put poison in the um, vents of the school. So, 62 girls had to go to the hospital. Yeah, I saw that. that They've been doing the same thing in Iran. Um, So, but Tigrani people, just so you know, are very educated, very smart. I mean, just so uh, innovative. And there's a lot of like intelligence happening in that country, a lot of brain power happening. Um, so just the fact that, you know, people, telling girls not to go to school or the poisonings that were happening in the schools, the, the girls, the elementary school girls were taking off their hijabs and saying, and like screaming at their uh, headmasters, you know, like say, saying be shut off, meaning like, you know, you're not an honorable person kind of thing. Um, but there, there's just a lot of like repression and oppression of girls. There's the morality police, which again, I have heard also, we have it in the Orthodox Jewish communities in Israel. Um, but basically, you know, if your hijab has slipped off and you're showing a little bit of hair, they'll hit you in the street or worse. Well they
0: kill people. You spoke about this woman that was killed. Yeah. You obviously there are similarities, but you can't similarities. but but, it's, it's interesting to me because I didn't know
2: that about our community and that even exists until we until like five days ago but well, in i mean general in you,
0: religious yeah in religious communities there are always people who become too zealous and too extreme and, exactly and they they give the the whole religion a bad reputation and a bad name and that's essentially exactly. what happened in iran and yeah. happens in maya and when you see girls wearing complete burqas walking down the street in gaula 10 minutes from the cult though, you're like, how did this happen under our watch? I didn't uh, even know that. I
2: feel like terrible, but I didn't even know that existed Terrifying, in, yeah. in our community, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because it's like if you're to me, I I like hate hypocrisy. You know that on my Instagram I'm like calling it out like all day all day long. So I just want to like acknowledge that like I, I reject that in, in that culture and in our own culture too, you know? And it's very interesting. Like I had a very um, loud voice in the Iranian community that for a decade has been saying Like these hijabs should not exist. She was in my home. There was FBI agents here to protect her. And, you know, I told her, I said, you know, when when the stuff was happening in Israel and I saw people, you know, saying lies about Israel, I was posting eight and a half hours a day in defense of Israel. And I've never even lived there. But when the stuff started happening in Iran, I was ambivalent. Why? And and I, I told her, in, in, in front of people in my home, she was speaking. I said, you know, why when they d- were doing these things to the Jews, why didn't you speak up for me? Why didn't you speak up for us? You know, why should I speak up for you now? When you didn't, when you let this happen to me and the Bahá'ís and you know all the other minority uh, groups in Iran, and she stood up there and she said, you know what, when it was happening to the Jews, we said we're not Jewish, why should we care? When it was happening to the Bahá'ís, we're not Bahá'í, why should we care? But when you know Massa got killed, she said we are all Massa, and she turned yeah. yeah, and she said I, I'm so sorry that we didn't stand up for you because you know we always say canary in the coal mine, right? And um. I just, it was nice to hear, you know, the realization on her part. And I think until she came to to meet me, I don't think that that was a realization of hers. But a lot of people, unfortunately, say, you know, all the, all the women and all the stuff happening in Iran, they're paying for their parents' error. You overthrew the Shah. You right. rioted in the streets. You did all of, the again, the stuff that's happening here. Defund the police. Well, who's going to suffer from that? Minority communities are going to suffer from that not, you know, the people living in um, security protected homes. Right? right. So it's it's sort of like a lot of people are saying that it's terrible to say, but it's like, what did you think was going to happen? And again, in the in the US, I'm screaming very loudly on, on Instagram because I've seen this happen before. I've heard these sounds. I've smelled these smells.
0: You spoke about this with Laura Trump. I, I thought it was very interesting. You were saying that American Jews are really caught in this quagmire because the ones that come from Eastern Europe that witness that nationalistic mentality where everything is about race, that that's very much in line with essentially the Republican dynamic. And then the liberal position or the Democrats today, I mean, that's socialism and Cuba, South America, all those countries were completely destroyed.
2: And it's so funny, too, because I think the whole like race thing, I actually think that that's a more left thing. The left is constantly talking about race. Right. So again, like I feel like, and I've seen it kind of shift too with these like Jexit, you know, campaigns online with the Jews leaving the Democratic Party. I mean, I know my some of my Jewish friends voted Republican for the first time and cried.
0: You know, yeah, it I mean, like I so hear so even hot. from Alan Dershowitz, I, I had him on my show, I, I listened to his podcast. Love he's him. so torn. He is so torn. You could see that it weighs so heavy on his heart that after all these years, because he's a Zionist, he's been rejected from all his circles, from all his political peers. And it's it's really, really heartbreaking, honestly. And for no reason, because it's a, it's a fake world. My grandmother always says in Yiddish, it's a falsche welt. It's a fake world. And it's yeah. all smoke and mirrors. And there's so much falsehood out there that you're fighting and pushing back against and i do the same on instagram and twitter i was actually banned on twitter this week the this egyptian terrorist that killed the three soldiers right yes so israel investigates they find that he has a koran on him he has a knife he has three magazines Uh, it's safe to say that he has terroristic leanings okay that's being generous yes Uh, this big Palestinian account was tweeting like how dare Israel suggest that because he had a Quran he was an extremist imagine someone would say that about the Torah I replied I said not all Muslims are jihadi terrorists but all jihadi terrorists are Muslim and I got banned for a week for for. Literally I mean, jihad, you said jihadi terrorist mean, jihad by definition means you're Muslim <laughs> I know and I got banned for, and there's no one to talk to so you know at moments like that it's like you, you, you start questioning reality. Like, how is this how is this guy able to? Well, let me tell you
2: something, Shal. I think it's really interesting because every time I would say something about Islamists, I live that, right? I've been shot at by Islamists. Like, every time I'd mention it, people would say Islamophobia, Islamophobia. But let me oh, tell you, please. the beauty and the silver lining of what's happening in Iran right now. It is is the first time moderate Muslims are speaking up against Islamists, and it's made it okay. So calling out Islamists now, I'm not getting called Islamophobia, Islamophobia, you know, the the race card or the phobia. I know, but
0: you could still be called a Zionazi, which I'm sure you have been.
2: You know what's so funny too? You know how, like, um, all of the comments during the conflict, they actually traced 90% of them to two IP addresses in Malaysia, they were bots.
0: Uh, perhaps but then you throw in all the self-hating jews peter beinart kenneth roth thomas friedman and and the haaretz journalists i mean there's enough yeah
2: there's enough enough, but it's just also interesting it's like when are we
0: going to get our bots you know yeah (laughs) I, i i have this conversation with someone today i said i don't understand why israel doesn't have a better pr department
2: you know they i'll tell you i have a friend who went to the knesset Eleven years ago, like a long time ago, she's like, "We need PR." When social media came, we need social media, and they're like, "No, we don't. The truth will prevail." Oh, so that's I not think how it works. Yes. that's not how it works. Yeah, so I think they've they they've realized that. I mean, it's a bit behind the the ball
0: now, but yeah, eventually the truth will prevail. Maybe yes. spiritually in the world to come. But on a day-to-day basis, bad press is bad press. And when this two-year-old toddler's picture is being shared left and right and Israel wasn't ahead of the game and able to present the situation for what it was it's just it's really disheartening as somebody but I'll like, tell you like heat. before it would take
2: like 10 days for them to declassify a photo of like the woman who actually had a knife next to her hand they blurred out the knife and posted it as like they killed this Muslim woman and then 10 days later they would release the actual photo with like a machete this big next
0: to her right now they're releasing it within minutes there's room for, for sure. improvement um let's talk about Biden's national strategy to counter anti-semitism and what was wrong with it and what was right with it I read it it's it's 40 pages long. I, you know, I went through it. At first I was like, oh, this is nice. This is good. This is great. This is cool. And then things started to like, you know, <laughs> rub me the wrong way. First of all, as you wrote in an op-ed um they don't use the IHRA's definition of anti Semitism. That's the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, which basically allows this space for vicious anti Semitism towards Israel disguised as anti Zionism. I saw a video of college students in Colombia this week literally chanting that Zionists shouldn't be allowed in college. It's it's straight out of Germany. Jews shouldn't be allowed in college. It's the same Guess thing. What? But yeah.
2: That's not, that's my alma mater. Oh,
0: that's your alma mater. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. That, and I, it's I, funny. I, I, I
2: Yeah, I mean, they've reached out to me. Please be our ambassador. Please be our whatever. And I'm like, until you address this stuff, I will not be your ambassador. And you need to post something in the Columbia Magazine you know, denouncing BDS, denouncing all of this stuff, saying how you're going to make your Jewish students feel safe on campus and not afraid to say what they are. And they said, Oh, we don't like to get political in Columbia magazine. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. You posted about back black lives matter a month ago, but it's so crazy because like 40, 50% of their students are Jewish. So many of their donors, Jewish donors, which was the majority have stopped donating so it's like, what what is it gonna take, Columbia? You know, you're you're in the smack in the middle of New York City, which outside of Israel is the largest Jewish population. How are you making your Jewish students feel safe and not just safe physically, but safe to like have nuanced conversations about their point of view? Like, what's the point of college if people are walking on
0: eggshells and like afraid they're gonna get a bad grade if they don't say what they think? Right, right, right. It's very frustrating. And I I didn't find tremendous reassurance from this administration's efforts thus far
2: not just that not just like you know um using the i you know ihra definition because 90 percent of jews are zionist um For sure. anti-zionism is anti-semitism it's just like a, a a cleaner way of doing it kind of mm-hmm. um but also they brought in
0: care yeah that that I, as soon as i saw care first of all egypt uh, we have a, a, a political alliance with them. They are not our friends. I always say they could turn on a dime. We, we just saw this last week. I was just in Egypt to the beginning of the month. And literally, it was so funny. Me and my friend,
2: um, we met with a lot of the leadership and um, ambassadors and things like that. And they just kept using the word tolerant. We are so tolerant. We are so tolerant. Guess how many Jews are left in Egypt? Forty two. And guess how many are actually not in a wheelchair and standing? 1. Oh wow. And so it's sort of like where are your Jews, you know? Where are your Jews? Why did they leave? Right. If you're so tolerant, so amazing to the Jews. Where are your Jews?
0: Right. So we have the Council on American Islamic Relations helping strategize how to defeat anti-Semitism. It's And by the way,
2: you guys, this this organization, CARE, has rabid anti-Semites that they support. They're funded by- Terrorist groups, for sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. terrorist groups. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of, and actually the federal government did a um, investigation, not investigation, but like research on CARE. And the name of their paper that they came out with says CARE is Hamas. So this is who the Biden administration partners with to fight anti-Semitism. And it's and it's crazy to me too. Like as however you feel about Trump, I mean, if you actually Google how did Trump fight anti-Semitism, you will see real things. He was punishing campuses that were doing BDS. He, I mean, he he like actually made. Thing, he put things out, but it's so funny to me that, or like the Abraham Accords. It's just crazy to me how a lot of the left-leaning Jews will not give him any credit for anything he did for Jew, the Jewish people on the state of Israel. None. I mean, he should have gotten a Nobel Peace Prize for the Abraham Accords, right? Obama got a Nobel Peace Prize for nothing. And no one will even acknowledge what Trump did for the Jewish people. And I'm sorry. He came out and he said, I do more for the Jewish people than most Jews. And everybody was like, That's so anti Semitic. It's like, okay, well, what are you doing? Counter that. Tell me how you, what are you doing? But what do they want to see? Do they want Israel to fail? You know, you know what it is? This is what I think. I think that there are certain things that ideologically to the Democrats is almost more important to their own than their own survival.
0: Tikkun Olam.
2: Like abortion. I think I think abortion rights to some Jewish people is more important than this than the state of Israel and therefore their own survival. I really do.
0: Or ver- well, that means they're they're completely detached from any sort of spirituality. Or they are. They're, they're, completely we, de- it's, it's, they're detached from the Torah. There's actually data on that. So, so you think that the administration kind of put it out there just to appease the Jews, or do you think that? Because I was reading it and thinking if all of this was implemented and was you know came into fruition. Perhaps we could see an improvement. Maybe there will be less anti-Semitism. Do you have any hope? Not by the steps that
2: this person's, you know, our administration currently has taken. No, I don't. I think it's more virtue signaling. It's kind of like a Black Lives Matter effect, right? We marched, we did all of this stuff and defunded the police. And if you go into these Black communities, 80% of Black people did not want to defund the police. 80%. But in their name... You know, I feel like white liberals who are virtue signaling, trying to make themselves feel better and fill that empty hole or maybe that guilt, were were uh, you know marching and donating. Black Lives Matter is now going bankrupt because of all the embezzlement. They looked at where the funds were spent. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars was spent on strip clubs. Oh, yeah. They're completely corrupt, completely the, corrupt. Yeah. Yeah. But Because of this guilt and these feelings that, you know, mostly white people espouse, um, they were able to raise, you know, 90 million dollars last year or something crazy. And, you know, where where did it all go? Mega mansions and, and you know, like all of the stuff. So,
0: yeah,
2: I just think people need to step back. They need to step away from their virtue signaling and and actually look at data unemotionally. And look at numbers unemotionally. And you know, if there's things that they don't know, instead of looking it up memes on Instagram, actually go open a book, read both sides, listen to both sides, watch both sides news channels, whatever it is that you wanna do, but stop being in your echo chambers, stop voting even down party lines. Like for me, you know, I'm definitely right-leaning, but if I know a district will never go right, I'm going to support the Democratic candidate who's not insane. I will donate to that candidate who's not insane. I don't want the socialist candidate. I've seen what that does to a country. You know, so it's kind of like, it's not just Jewish issues. It is that, but it's also so much more. What are you seeing in Los Angeles at, at the moment? I'm kind of, you know, the Persian Jews, I say, um, are, and the Orthodox Jews are saving LA, I think.
0: <laughs> it's like when Hashem wanted to destroy Sodom and Amora. Avram said, is there 10 good people there? Are there five there? Are there? Is there one? Any,
2: anything. It's so funny. One of my friends, uh, Nate Bazulik, he was on Vampire Diaries. He's looking to move out of LA, and, he's, and he did, just did a um, Instagram post like two days ago. And he goes, I'm looking to leave Sodom. I mean Los Angeles.
0: Exactly. Dave Rubin also, he's like a <laughs> oh, huge Florida fan now. He's great. But no,
2: what I want to say is I've I've seen changes here. I think people are fed up. I had an Ashkenazi family over for Shabbat dinner like two years ago, and they were screaming at me at my own in my own house as I'm feeding them Shabbat dinner. And about six months ago, they came and they're like, you know what, we we changed our minds. Um, we're very sorry and we're, you know, gonna vote this way now. <laughs> so right. I think I think they saw people, the light. <laughs> they saw the light. So I think people are waking up. Uh I'm doing my best to kind of present. Data and, and and point out hypocrisy on my Instagram, at, at, as you said in the beginning of the of the show. Um, you know, to sometimes my financial detriment, but mostly not. I mean, I think what I've realized too, Chanel, is like in the in the last three years since COVID, I've realized how easily influenced people are. Number one, I have realized that you can't have people be totally obsessed with you unless you have an equal amount of people that totally hate your guts. Oh yeah. You cannot oh, yeah. be hated. Like, you're not doing something yeah, right. You can't like walk this political correctness because guess what? Ten years from now, that fake you might not be acceptable and you're gonna get canceled for that. Now let's mm-hmm. talk about cancel culture too. I don't think you can get canceled for coming from a place of love, sticking to your core values, and you have to keep going. So like when I first started posting, what I actually think, I lost 3000 followers in 30 minutes. And now look at I'm talking to you. I'm like friends with Devrager. I've I've been flown all over the country to meet one step back, ten sprints forward. Yeah. And and one of my followers said, God rewards the authentic. And I will tell you, since I've been speaking from my heart and exactly what I think, I feel the wind at my back. I feel God is at my side. I get random signs like all the time that I'm on the right path. I feel purpose in my life, which as you know, is the best antidepressant. Um, And I I highly recommend people start... Talking, say what you think. You can change your mind. You can evolve. But the point is, if we don't start to have meaningful, nuanced conversations, we're not going to grow as a society. And honestly, you feel lonely. You feel oppressed. I mean, what am I back in Iran? Like, no, my family left everything behind to bring me here so I can say what I think. So
0: I can talk to people who are also saying what they right. think. You, there's no reason to be silenced, especially when you're here to make the world a better place and save lives. That that's what we Jews do. We project goodness and kindness. And it's just a shame when we get labeled these terrible things because there are people with these political agendas or money being funneled into bad causes and it just seems sometimes like an uphill battle and i'm glad that there are people like you and lizzie and what's her name noah tishby she's terrific just people that really take the heat but like you said when you go to sleep at night knowing that you are on the side of good and you are fighting against evil like you can rest assured that there will be bracha in what you're doing. So I love that. And I see that you're happy with what you're doing and you exude positivity on your social media network. So that's terrific. I want to shift gears for a second because I only have you for a little bit. I know you have to start your day. You're a busy mom, plastic surgeon. You have a lot going on. I know you're not going to be in your closet for the entire morning. So, no. <laughs> all right. You posted something on Instagram. I saw it in your story today and I was like, you know, this is a great little quote blurb. Let's let's discuss it a little bit. You wrote, or not you wrote, you shared a post that said, children who are raised with critical thinking." Skills, solid morals, healthy diets, communication skills, and a sense of responsibility are gonna absolutely demolish their peers over the coming decades. The gap between the haves and the have nots have barely started. So in a world full of digital distractions, how do we teach our kids to be go-getters, self-motivated? hard workers. Because if we could take anything away from your story where you have accomplished so much and you keep chugging, it's not like you're retiring anytime soon. Like there's, there's the long-term goal here. How do you teach your kids? How can we teach our kids get off your screens. It's okay to work hard. It's okay to schwitz. That is the way to succeed. That's the way to put the distance between you and the people who are never going to accomplish what you can.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the number one thing is talking
0: to your kids about what you've been through
2: and the struggles. I think leading by example, showing them how hard I work, showing them how loud I am uh, on social media, despite death threats, despite this and that. Not giving them too much. I think that, that, yep, don't, you know, let them know, like, I'm going to leave you this, but everything else you're going to have to do yourself. I've talked to my patients who are, you know, generally very successful and they've said, you know, I show them the good life. I'll let them fly first class. I'll let them do this stuff. When they hit 18, it's like, oh, you like that? okay, go, go earn that for yourself. Now you better work hard. You know, we do have a housekeeper every now and then, but they know how to do their laundry. They cook for themselves and me. They- You don't cook? You don't cook? I hate, I hate cooking. I know how to make- Me too, me too. I hate
0: cooking. I I know how to make, I know how to cook. I can make like 10- So do I. But like I have bigger fish to fry, not real fish, but other things. No, you know what it is for me?
2: Like if I work for four hours and do a surgery, like that person enjoys it for the rest of their life, right? But you cook
0: for four hours, people come over,
2: they eat it, and it's gone. (laughs) What is this?
0: And you have to clean up and your kids are picky. I just told my kids just order from Burgers Bar and I've There you go. No shame, no No shame in doing that. No shame. Because they see, they see that their mothers are committed to important things. A lot of people work and they don't really discuss it at home, but you're saying that you do expose your kids to all the activism that you're involved in and all the things that are important to you. And
2: it's interesting to see their evolution too. Like my son, they had to give TED Talks at their school yesterday. So, you know, 1230, I'm I'm up in his school listening to his TikTok. I didn't even know what it was about. It was about how everyone should delete TikTok from their phones because, you know, China's watching. (laughs) That was his TED Talk.
0: So she, he's been listening. I'm sure you've yeah. discussed that. Yeah. And, and all that. my
2: kids deleted TikTok themselves because they just recognized that it wasn't good for them. Um, and they all just deleted it off their phones themselves. I didn't even tell them. Um, get Hello. Them
0: you win then, Mother of the Year Award. I'm sorry. Uh, i
2: not This is <laughs> great. It. So um, also giving them phones as late as possible. So my kids didn't get phones until they are about to enter high school. They were the only, the only one of their friends that didn't have it in their school. And honestly, they were okay with that. Um, my son got his a little earlier cause he's just like a, a freaking manipulator, but it's okay.
0: He'll, he'll succeed in life because of that. Those right. skills. Listen, we can cater to each child, different kids have different needs. You have to know yes. your child. Yeah. Yes. If you have a kid who's more OCD and obsessive, they might not do well with a phone in their hands. But right. if you have a kid who's disciplined and focused, then that, that kid can manage it.
2: Right. And then my daughter who was so shy at the beginning of, you know, entering high school, um, you know last year during their like diversity equity inclusion day or whatever she stood up and she in front of the, in front of a lot of people and she said you know when i'm picking a football team i want the best players i'm not looking at their skin color i'm not looking at whatever i just want to win the championship and she's like i'm looking at merit i'm looking at you know talent and all this stuff she's like don't we want to win as a society so that was like her response and then she basically wet, was walking away from the microphone walked back and she goes and my mom has three
0: guns and then she walked stage. nice my mother's fears <laughs> don't mess with us yeah I So it. i mean it's
2: just like seeing their
0: fearlessness
2: And standing up or like my 11 year old confidence, it's confidence. I said, a lie. What do you want for your birthday? She goes, mom, I want to, I want a Jewish star this big. I want everyone to know I'm Jewish. So she's like this 11 year old walking around with like this iced tea Jewish star.
0: What can we do besides transfer our passion for Israel and for Judaism to our children? I mean, if that's not important. And in this day and age, we have to fight for it. It's not going to you know come. What? You guys,
2: I think, and it's so funny, too. Like, when I started activism about Israel, I didn't even know where the West Bank was located. On Me, the map. too.
0: I, when I moved to Israel, I couldn't even find Jerusalem on the map. <laughs> right. And so
2: I had to learn my own roots in order to defend my opinions. I right. I always tell people like, you don't have to learn your roots because you want to defend it or fight someone on Instagram. You should know it because that grounds you, you know, where you come from, you know, your history and, you know, a a tree with, with strong roots can't be shaken by wind. And so I tell my kids like, know your history, know your traditions, know where you come from. So if, you know, drugs come in your life, you're like, no. And if, you know, some, you know, uh, over sexualized thing comes into your life you're like no so you know that you have a full heart and you know your core values you that's the most important thing you can give your kids and to me you know I feel like Americans they've lost God they've lost, Oh, yeah, sure. not all of them. I, maybe in where I'm at, my people, the people around me, they try to replace the instruction book with fake versions. Like here we have unplugged. People are paying memberships to go sit and have somebody take their phone away from them. Okay, well, that's Shabbat, but okay, you go pay a membership. Or like, I meditate. Well, that's like prayer three times a day, right? These pillars of stability in a chaotic world. You can go meditate morning and night and call it meditation, but that's prayer. So I just feel like people are creating these like substitutes
0: for the the
2: instruction book that we've already had for thousands of years. I'm just going to give my kids the instruction book
0: i love that that couldn't have been more clear okay before i let you go because you're here and i'm just going to take advantage of that you tweeted about ozempic now i did an entire episode on it because i tried it and i said that i tried it for the podcast which i kind of did i, I tried it for. i'm like, on it now i've been on it for like nine months it's the best really? thing on planet yes I, I, i'm shocked to hear that i thought i was going to ask you and you were going to be like heck no stay away from it i tried it for six weeks I was so sick. I was so sick the entire time. I could not stay on it. Believe me, I wanted to. What's your opinion on using medication for lo- to lose weight? Well,
2: honestly, like, you know, after the age of 40, and I don't know how old you are, but like after I'm 42, 40- like you. Okay, there you go. So we become insulin resistant, right? So that's why we, everyone like slowly starts to gain weight as you lose your sensitivity to insulin. If there is a medication that can make you more sensitive to insulin, it's like metformin even. So you should probably just go on metformin. I was on metformin for anti-aging properties. And that's also a very old diabetes medication that just increases your sensitivity to insulin, right? It doesn't lower your blood pressure, uh, blood sugar. It just increases your sensitivity. And if you look it up, you'll see tons of things about it, about how people believe it's anti-aging, why,
0: the studies behind it. They give it for PCOS. They so do, they, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: So I would say at least beyond that, it's not going to make you lose weight, but it does cut the cravings a bit. And um, I was just on it. All my dermatology friends and people there in the aesthetic world are on it, right? But when Ozempic came out, I I've never had a problem with my weight ever 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 I've never had to think about it if anything I was drinking like shakes like this to try to gain weight okay and when I hit 40 I gained 14 pounds and I was going to do a photo shoot for something and I put up these leather pants and the zipper flew across my closet
0: and you're like uh oh good old days and I was are like, over oh. and then my
2: stylist is like maybe we don't wear athleisure anymore you know? <laughs> yeah I tried for 3 years to get back down to the weight that I was pre-covid and I couldn't do it so when this came out I was like Reading up on it, I was like, okay, well, this is this is really good, and I tried it. I lost over, and it's slow. You know, I lost probably my fourteen pounds over six to seven months. Mm. And there's different varying um, medications also. Like there's Manjaro, which is good for like twenty to thirty pounds. You know, and there's stronger medications even for like thirty different doses also. Yeah. It's kind of like if you have really high blood pressure, they're not going to give you a water pill. You know what I mean? They're going to give you the medication that is appropriate for your diagnosis. So this is the same thing. And I truly believe it's going to replace the lap band, at least. I don't think people are going to get surgical. Oh, yeah. I pointed
0: that out. Yeah, that is an advantage. That's right. Because yeah. I I know friends and relatives have done the lap band and gained all the weight back. And that was a serious surgery. So chaval yeah as they say. Yeah.
2: So, I think that, you know, if you if you can't tolerate it, at least go on metformin just for the anti-aging properties of it. But it sucks because it's like you want to be on Ozempic. Um I have had friends who were nauseated for about a week and then it went away. There's also certain things you can do. Like there's an anti-nausea like Ozempic. If you look up Ozempic nausea relief if you google that, Eating certain types of foods helps with it a lot. Um, bland, more bland foods, right, you no know, right. spicy foods,
0: because, you know, the fried, food is yeah. staying in
2: your stomach longer. longer yeah. so if you eat spicy food, you're going to get reflux if
0: you go straight to bed. You have to recognize what it does. And you recognize exactly. what it does and how it works. You could eat accordingly.
2: Yes. And so you can't eat those fried foods. I remember when I first started it in the morning, a lot of times our, our staff would bring in donuts and I just had my coffee and I ate a donut and I literally thought I had to lay down on the floor. Like you can't eat high sugar because you feel like crap. Yeah.
0: And it comes I, up the whole alcohol day. Alcohol isn't
2: appealing as much anymore. Even I stopped drinking, drinking
0: water, coffee. I stopped drinking
2: coffee when I was, was My coffee it. intake has gone down a lot, but I will tell you guys, and I'll tell you too, these drinks called Premier Protein, 30 grams of protein, one gram of sugar, and has tons. This is my must-have for people on Ozempic. And then also um, we carried these three patches. I did a video on it on my Instagram. These three dermal – because I used to take 12 vitamins a day. I think it would make me feel like I need to throw up if I had 12 vitamins on Ozempic just because it would st- sit in my stomach for so long. So there's these dermal patches that you stick on. One of them is like straight B12 into your bloodstream. One of them's all your daily vitamins straight into your bloodstream. And the other one is like collagen, hair, nails. It's
0: It's a massive game changer for people who don't like to swallow pills like me. Exactly. And
2: it's, you know, I did this video and it like blew out because I think so many people were looking for that solution. So we have that on my e-commerce site, theskinspot.com. If you guys resonate with that. Like me, Everyone's like me, 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 I, me, 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 me. <laughs> yeah. You can stick it on your arm. You can stick it on your back. And the nice thing is it bypasses your liver. So when you eat a vitamin, it's getting filtered down by your liver before it enters your bloodstream. These patches go straight into your bloodstream. So the B12 one, um, that's what made me really cut down on my coffee. Cause I was like this, cause you have all the energy from the B12 and I was having like five coffees a day. So now I'm like down to one coffee a day
0: with the patch. Wow. Amazing. I'm, I'm so glad that I brought it up. I was like, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, but no. And it's so good as a doctor. I feel like to try everything. Like I do all the, all the injections on my
2: face. I do every like new Botox that comes out. I'll try it on and be like, Oh, that sucked. That doesn't work even.
0: You're adventurous. You're saying you're medically adventurous. I I feel like,
2: how am I going to tell people it works and like put my reputation behind it if I didn't try it on myself or like a staff. I always try, like, even Ozempic, I didn't offer it to my patients for like four months until I was on it for four months. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like the greatest thing on earth. Right. So now we offer it to our patients as part of a membership program.
0: Wow. You are so bubbly and friendly and fun. And, and I regret that this <laughs> it has to be so short because I could just keep talking to you for hours. One last thing. Sunscreen. Yes or no? Because I live in Israel and I, I debate every morning. Oh, Should I wear my.
2: Sure. Oh, but I'll tell you. So physical sunscreen for sure. So you want it to say zinc oxide or something oxide. The chemical sunscreens it can cause um, hair loss if it gets too close to your hair. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Those are the ones that actually are in makeups and actually go on really smooth. But we have a couple. I have my own skincare line too, Nazarian Skin. One of them's a matte finish and one of them's more of a dewy finish. They're both physical sunscreens and they're both like slightly tinted. So it makes you look better. So, cause it gives you a light coverage. So you'll actually wear it. Cause I feel like a lot of times the... The, the physical sunscreens are like white chalky. So you want to look for a tinted physical like light coverage sunscreen. And actually, I only wear that. I don't wear foundation or anything like that. I just wear the sunscreen.
0: Okay, I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to have to check that out. I live in the Middle East now and my freckles are going crazy. You
2: have to, especially if you're fair. Fair skin is going to age faster than, than darker skin. So light skin is by definition thinner. Like when I'm doing a tummy tuck, I cut once and I'm looking at your fat. For like black, Asian, Hispanic, Middle Eastern origin, I have to cut like two or three times through their skin before I get down to fat. Wow. So So it's mama science. Yeah. I mean, you're going to heal really well. You're going to heal like a little thin white scar, like nothing happened. Whereas... The people who don't wrinkle as quickly, he'll, he'll thick and red and elevate it.
0: OK, so, so the I feel like every skin
2: type has its pros and cons, right. but the thinner skin does have less collagen. The lighter skin types are thinner, has less collagen. And so sunscreen for, for you guys is like so it's like the most important anti-aging thing ever.
0: I'm so happy I asked you because I was under the impression that it's chemicals, it's unhealthy and maybe I shouldn't. Maybe the you chemical ones.
2: Right. So you want to go with the physical
0: ones, the ones that end the main ingredient should be say something oxide It's usually zinc oxide. Amazing. I'm going to check out your product line. I'm going to put a link in my show notes so people could check it out. Um, I'll share your social media platforms. Thank you so much for being here. You are such a burst of joy. And I I just I wish you luck in all of it because we're not necessarily in touch on a regular basis. But ultimately we are part of this team. I do feel like we're on a team. And when I see Lizzie and, and you and all these people just really, really fighting, it gives me, it gives me strength. It gives me koach because some days you feel like, how are we going to win? How are we going to win? And then I see these amazing people around me and I say, well, of course we're going to win. We have so many amazing, bright, brilliant, incredible people around us. It's only going to be good. We have no choice but to survive. That's what we do. That's what we Jews do. Thank you so much, Sheila. Have a wonderful day and um, hope to have you on again. Thank you so much. So there you have it, episode 115 of the Weekly Squeeze. Don't forget to subscribe, check out my show notes links, order Mosaic, press books, and I will see you on Monday.